As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hi there, this is From the Rookery End, a Watford podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I am Adam Leventhal. I'm the Watford correspondent for The Athletic and alongside me this week is Mike. How are you, Mike? Yes, I'm all right. Sort of a little bit annoyed that that's one cup that we're not going to win this year. But there you go. We've still got the Premier League and the FA Cup to go for. So I'm all right. Good. And DCW, you're here as well. What's your take? Very optimistic, Mike. Eh? Premier League title tilt not yet over for the Hornets. Never over till it's over, mate. Bring it on. And that could be could, could could be still some of the IPA swilling around in me from Saturday, perhaps. But there you go. You boys did a very very good impression of two people that weren't, uh, however many sheets to the wind, speaking very very slowly and clearly on the last podcast, which which I thought was yeah. very very interesting. You should have heard what left, what went on the cutting room floor. <laughs> no, it was very enjoyable. Yeah, I'd encourage everyone who wants to sort of just bathe in the. Uh, the glory and the sunshine and and everything else after uh, Norwich. Do uh, do check out the, the last podcast from um, after the win at Carrow Road. On this Thursday edition, we're going to be looking at some of the, the key news stories from the last week and pointing you in the direction of some of the coverage of Watford on The Athletic, answering some of your questions at the end of this episode as well. We are going to be reflecting on the, the exit from the Carabao Cup against Stoke and, and what we learnt from that 3-1 defeat at Vicarage Road on Tuesday evening. Uh, we're also going to be talking in particular about Ismail Assar. Uh, I did a, a big read on uh, Saar uh, for The Athletic this week. It dropped on uh, Monday, so we're going to be pulling that one apart. We're also going to be looking ahead, of course, to the game against Newcastle, and then we will be going through any of the questions uh, that you have sent in via social media. So thank you very much for sending them in. Also, uh, to those of you who responded to the message that I put out on the app as well via the the real-time section of The Athletic app. Now, just to remind you, if you aren't yet an Athletic subscriber and you want to get a little bit of a discount, it's always nice, uh, you can go to theathletic.com forward slash rookeryend and you will get a 33% discount on a new subscription. Right, gents, let's deal with um, the game against Stoke. Obviously disappointing to exit, but it was a, a bit of a random sort of smash and grab, to be brutally honest, from from Stoke. I don't know if a, if a smash and grab can have three goals in it, but it did feel like it did feel like that, didn't it, Dave? Yeah, it did. It just 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 as we thought we were going to get back into it, it just got snatched away from us again. Both those late goals were. Slightly well, certainly the third one was extremely fortunate for Stoke. But even even their second goal, we were right behind the perfect angle, sitting right behind it in the uh, Elton John stand, and um, I think it got a little nick, and that just helped it bend into the far corner. Uh, it wasn't until I got home and I looked at the stats actually that sometimes when you're at a game and a game like that as well, where sometimes. It wasn't exactly a sort of pulsating atmosphere, was it? So I was chatting to John, who I was sitting next to quite a lot, really, to be honest with you. I didn't realise we had 27 shots 
uh, we obviously actually we 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 did more than enough really to to win the game on on any other occasion to be honest. So there were a few positives or a few good performances. As as Mike said at the start, I'm I'm disappointed to go out of the cup actually because it'd be nice to just go on a go on a little run. It would have been nice to, to to go on a run. I mean, Mike, from from your point of view, do you sort of concur with what what Dave has has said there that it was just, it was literally just one of those one of those days, or, or were there were there deeper issues for you? I think it definitely was, wasn't it? It's, you get them. It's the the old adage: you could play till Christmas and and not score or, or or not win. And and the stats bear it out. Really, it was pretty comfortable. Certainly in the second half, I thought it was wave after wave. Really, wasn't it of Watford attack? And when Klukas did get that second, it was like, oh, crikey. That's uh, that's annoying, um, but it was just completely against the run of play. But I do think we were architects of our own downfall, really. You know, it was a, a eleven changes made, which I don't think anyone would quibble about, including the much heralded debut for Roseanne Tufan. But despite there being eleven changes from the great win against Norwich, that was still a fairly strong-looking team sheet, wasn't it? If either any of those oh, yeah. players were going to be coming in to play a part in a Premier League match day squad, you wouldn't be upset. So I think to find ourselves struggling to put a championship side away um, with the pressure we did albeit you know Stoker in good form themselves but they made eight changes you know there's little things that I thought Jeremy Ngakia for example had a poor first half he's de- there was a couple of times when his delivery was was found wanting uh, he just he just seemed to to take a long long time to grow into the game and ultimately it was his mistake after 25 minutes got man of the match though last night which I thought was a bit weird yeah um, I think maybe the whoever decided that spent a lot of time talking to whoever they were sat next to instead of watching <laughs> the game as well potentially, but it was his mistake, wasn't it? He tried, you know, just do the yeah. simple things, and, and he lost his man. He got to the byline, into the box, and and, and from out of nowhere, Stoker ahead. It, don't do things like that, really. Is 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 the bottom line for me? I think we've, with one of the things that's a recurring issue and frustration for all of us this season has been our defensive frailties, and this this felt like a good opportunity to build a bit of momentum, um, to to build on the back of a really really good win at, at Norwich, and 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 just get get a home win. We lost the last one, and it just felt like you know, we weren't quite at it early enough and and I agree with you Dave the the atmosphere was was relatively flat at just over 8000 there last night but I don't think it's the the job of the crowd to get players going these are players who should be catching the eye for, for Cisco and trying to get into the side on Saturday or in future Premier League matches and I'd question really whether many of them many of them did that so yes on one side we ordinarily we'd have done enough to win that game but we wasted the chances at one end and we let them in at the end at the other and we've we've said that before, haven't we? So slightly slightly worried and slightly disappointed in in that respect. The overall thing, from my point of view, going out is that it is disappointing that when you have an opportunity, even if you're not going to go all the way, because seemingly Manchester City always win the the League mm. Cup. They just sort of put all their reserves in there, who are as good as any first team, and then they just go on and and win it. It seems to be their cup in in recent years. But from a from a Watford perspective, it's a great opportunity for those on the fringes to just keep that pot boiling, to have them looking forward to something. And yeah. we caught up with Ashley Fletcher after the game. And there was a real feeling of, yeah, yeah, that's my, that's basically my, my chance to play, gone for the next what couple of months until um, the FA Cup comes about in in January time. So hopefully, you know, he will get more football um, before then, and I think that he's he's done probably enough to to do so, at least off the bench, or just to be given five ten minutes here and there, or twenty minutes, or you know, if there are injuries, then he might get more of an opportunity. He's a lovely thought, bloke, by the way. I just I like to looked- say that I think he he came he came across really really well um, in the interviews, and obviously had scored scored the goal and that's probably why we were speaking to him to, yeah. to be honest we're going to save Ashley Fletcher for the end for the questions but let's you know you've mentioned him let's talk about him now Alan Lathwell was the guy that asked the question about Fletcher touching on what you just said um, Adam do you think this is basically his chance gone now to play until till January kind of where do you see his role in the, in the squad because I was looking at him last night and he's clear he's a bit rough around the edges isn't he I don't you know there was a few moments where he sort of touch got away from him a little bit but he's, he's certainly a willing runner he's, he's, he's big 
He's, he's our, certainly our tallest forward player that we've got, and and in, you know nearly scored a goal right at the start of the second half with a with a good header, and mm. he scored that goal in the last minute against Palace. He's clearly got a bit of a an instinct for being in the right place in the box when the ball comes in. I do think he's probably worth worth a go on the bench because he, he's 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 someone who could in the last sort of five ten minutes play that slightly different role of giving us a chance to get on the end of a cross or something if we need to if we need to do that. I think it's worth remembering when people are sort of already pulling a new player apart a little bit. And I've sort of seen some sort of negative things on social media, especially. And I know that that can be a little bit of a an odd place to be at times. But I think, you know, he's he's come in, he's played two games, he's scored two goals. We had strikers that have, have left the club, some permanently, some on loan, who didn't score goals. And scoring goals looked to be mm. one of the hardest things in the world. And he yeah. has actually popped up and, and scored goals and he's still growing into it and he's still learning to, to be a, a new football club. And when I saw him, you know, leap in the air, yes, he wasn't winning every header, but he did win a couple of good good flick-ons. I saw him sort of spinning on the halfway line, playing the ball out to, to the wings and then joining up with play in the middle. Um, yeah, the, the, everything wasn't perfect. But he is another option. He's not front line. He's not going to be the starter. But he seems to have, you know, a sunny disposition. He seems to be in a, a positive place. He, As I said, he came across really, really well. And I, I really like that. When you speak to a player and, you know, they're a bit philosophical about things and they're going, yeah, I might not play. He's certainly not going to not try in training. He wants to be playing. He wants to be playing Premier League football. And, and that is the whole point with Ashley Fletcher. Going back to the piece that I did on him a, a while back, it's a gamble, but it's only a gamble because he hasn't been playing Premier League football but he is determined to do that he's hungry and that is what a lot of the players have so look I, I wish him all the very best and, and I'm sure he will get some some opportunities along the way Let, let's deal with some of the other players in there I think you know Mike you've sort of covered the Ngakia situation it was disappointing for him basically because he'd taken a couple of steps forward and unfortunately he, he took a step back last night on the whole. But he did seem to recover, which was actually quite a beneficial yeah. thing. Let's deal with Imran Loser. <laughs> it's interesting, Dave, I think when we were last speaking, I'd, I'd forgotten about him. But I'm glad mm. that he actually played last night, played in the position that he has been prepared to be cast in, in that holding role, in that Will Hughes role. Although his, his physicality at times was a little bit questionable. He looked like someone that was out there to try and prove a point. There were moments, yes, where he didn't do the right thing at the right time. Yes, he might have got buffeted off the ball a couple of times, but he was responding and he was trying and pushing and trying to sort of let people know that he is a player. And yeah. he showed moments of confidence. And yes, it looks as if it's going to be a bit of a, a slow burn with him. Mm. But I was encouraged by that performance. I, I didn't think, oh, no, he's, he's really sort of confirmed everyone's fears. I actually saw a player going, you know what? I'm, I'm a player. Watford have spent some money on me and I'm determined to show that I can actually grow into this role. Was I seeing a different Imran loser to, to you guys or not? I don't think so. I think it's certainly his best performance of the, the the games we've seen him so far. I still think there's quite a way for him to go to be considered a viable starter in the Premier League games. He was playing definitely in that sort of deep lying role that that we saw Will Hughes play last season. He was collecting the ball from the defence at times. He was he was the option if the players ahead of him had to come back and just you know he would relieve them and he would get the ball from them he would keep it ticking over take it left take it right sort of ping it left and right short long had a decent range of passing to him but he doesn't have the physicality that Will Hughes has he doesn't have the bite and the sort of snappy determination that sometimes Will Hughes had he's new to the to the game in, in England and in the Premier League that that's going to come in time you'd like to think but I think those are the, the questions for him to answer is can he live with the pace of the game the physicality of the game can he be a bit more effective? He looks tidy. He looked more comfortable in that position, which he hadn't played in the first two games that we've seen him in. But, you know, I, I just think that he was, as you've said on you know many occasions, obviously you pointed out that he was the most expensive of our signings this summer. But I think he's way down the pecking order compared to the rest of them. My concern think, with, with Loser is that he's shown glimpses, but that's all they are really for me at the moment. Mm. And the, the conversation week in, week out is how do we get this midfield right? 
and there are lots of different components, lots of different op- options. And for me, he isn't one that is anywhere near being the answer to, to a match day in the, in the Premier League. You cannot afford... I know, yes, I was at Brighton and perhaps I'm a little bit sort of um, hungover, if you like, from, from the performance he put in against Brighton, which wasn't necessarily his fault at all. But you can't risk someone not being up to, up to speed, especially when it looks like we've got other players who are hitting the ground running much better. You know, Tom Cleverley came in and, and made an immediate impact, for example, against against Norwich on, on Saturday. Different type of player, different type of opposition that we're going to be playing regularly, admittedly. But I just worry, I just ha- how do you... And it, perhaps it goes back to the, the problem of being knocked out of the cup. If you're Imran loser... How do you get yourself into into recognition, into into contention? Because yes, we're seeing little snapshots of the player he might be, but I don't think it's anywhere near a complete performance. And let's not forget we were playing a championship side last night, albeit one in decent form, as I said earlier. And he, he didn't impose himself. Perhaps if he's going to be Will Hughes, we need... Um, Ben Foster to start sticking his camera in his face in inopportune moments and try and uh, wind him up that way like he used to do with uh, with Will Hughes. But for me, it's just a, I just wonder how you get from where he is now to being to, to to Cisco saying yes, I know he can slot in there. He's going to do the job against Leeds away, Everton away, uh, Liverpool. It, it's it's a big ask for anyone, but but even more so for someone who obvious talent. Just didn't quite a long way from 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 contributing what we need. I think. Just one other word on on that. And, and Jonathan Rogers asked a question about you know who is the best fit for the the Will Hughes role. Probably not a Tebow, he says. But is loser the alternative option? If not, then then who? I I think that the I think that there is. I think I don't think he's as far away as as you guys think he is. To be brutally honest, because I saw him react. To getting a, an elbow in the face, and he ended up with two, you know, mm-hmm. cigarette filters shoved up his nose, and it was like, uh, you know, a, a, basically going, right, okay, I'm, I'm in, I'm in for another fight, I'm in for another ruck, and I think that he would have come out of that game and gone, right, I need to, I need to start as I, as I responded to that moment where I got an elbow in the face, I need to be the first one to not elbow someone in the face, but do you know what I mean? Yeah. Have that real physical oomph. Mm. And also, it's different. Watford haven't played with someone like that who is willing to do what he was doing this season. Because Peter Atiba, as Jonathan Rogers mentioned, he doesn't do that. No. And Loser was doing what Will Hughes used to do. Yes, he's not up to the, the, the physical nous, let's say it, because I don't think he's particularly that much smaller than Will Hughes, for example, who, who uses his body very, very well. I hope, I hope that that will then come with, with Imran Loser. And I think that if there is an opportunity to hold on to the ball a little bit more and they want to go down that avenue in, in Premier League games, then they may well opt for that. But at the moment, you have other players that have stake to claim that are ahead of them. More physical presences like Musa Sissoko, for example, who, who came on um, against Stoke. Let's talk about Ozan Tufan, who made his debut against Stoke. And I've written a piece about him on The Athletic, uh, which has dropped this morning on Thursday morning. And I really enjoyed looking into his his career to date and learning a little bit more, speaking to people that know him very well from his time in Turkey. We actually managed to, to speak to Mesut Özil, who is actually his teammate at uh, Fenerbahce, and he actually spoke very, very warmly about uh, Ozan Tufan, so you can you can read uh, what Mesut Özil had to say. I also went through the details of his his move, his, his loan move, and the obligation to buy, and how much it's going to cost Watford if, if all goes to plan. Basically, the long and short of it is that if Watford stay up, they will buy him and he will get a three-year contract and it will cost Watford in in the in the in the region of five million pounds which may well end Pretty up good deal. being a bargain because mm. he looked a proper player last mm. night and that was probably only him at about 75 percent but I thought he had poise he had power he had presence he was you know willing to carry the ball forward he was willing to throw his body into to challenges and I think that you know, he might not come straight in against Newcastle, but I think it's going to be tough to keep him mm. out of the side 
if he continues on that upward curve. Did you did you see the player that I saw? Maybe maybe we might agree on this one rather than on Imran Luza. I think so. Yeah, I was impressed. I thought he grew into the game as it went on. Um, yeah, and you, you you sometimes you can just tell. Particularly, right, this is a thing. I was sitting quite close to the to the touchline last night. Sometimes when you see players close up and you can just see the way they touch the ball and sometimes when they just... There was a pass he did towards the end where he just, he just flicked it with the outside of his boot just over the leg of a defender out to a Messina or, or Semmer on the left. And just little touches and you think, right, he's, he's, got, he's got real class, this guy. He's played at a decent level. He's an international played with players like Ozil who, who, as you've said in your piece, is a fan of, is a fan of him. And... You know, you hope we're going to see more and more. And from reading the, some of the other bits in your piece about clubs he's been linked to this summer by Leverkusen, I think you said we're interested in him. You know, they're, they're no mugs. They're sort of top end of the Bundesliga, you know, knocking on the door of the Champions League. Um, and I was also alarmed and then maybe relieved or pleased to see that he uh, nearly joined Crystal Palace a few years ago, but that all fell through at the last minute because of an injury sort of pile up and the deal didn't get done. Maybe we've lost Will Hughes, but we've, we we may have gained Ozan Tufan a few years later from Palace. So maybe it all turned out for, for, the, for the good in the end. Yeah, he looked good. What I, what I loved, there was two, I think, real driving runs. Uh, he just picked the ball up and he didn't just drive forward. He, 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 he went at pace. And he, he gobbled up the ground in front of him, which gave the defenders a split second to decide what, what they were going to do. And invariably, they backed off and it opened up for him. Uh, and, and Watford had one, were able to create one of their uh, 27 shots from, from it. And that was really quite exciting. And I think it chimes with, with, with one of the lines in your, your piece, Adam, that, he's, that he is now a, a box-to-box midfielder after playing virtually every position during his, his, his career. And I think that is really where he's going to come into his own. If he can make those runs, those those breaks forward, it was just the speed he he did it at. I thought it was it was quite jarring almost. It's like crikey, someone's picked the ball up and really gone for it. And 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 you love to see that. And there's plenty of talk about him in in your piece, Adam, about how various moves that haven't quite come off. So there's obviously been people keeping tabs on him mm. for quite a significant period of time. And I thought there was there was plenty of. Um, plenty on view last night to show why, why that would be the case and yeah I think you're right he he was playing within himself really interesting to note in your in your piece ad and it, perhaps it goes a little way to, to just thinking about how much does go into into the planning of these sort of transfer deals that he he went over to Udinese because he couldn't come straight here and did a bit of pre-season there just to, to, to make use of the time that he wasn't going to be um, going to be available so just it all it feels good this one it feels like we've got someone who had a lot of people have had their eyes on um, we've wanted him we've got him uh, we've seen him now and yeah just those those little lung bursting runs really really exciting and I do wonder whether you know Newcastle a team really really low on confidence they'll be absolutely desperate to, to hold on and, and and try and get some sort of result with us being positive could he be that? You know, could he be a, a catalyst for that? We'll, we'll wait and see. But yeah, looks looks like a player. Excited. Well, yeah. If you want to read that article about Ozan Tufan, um, including some of the things that haven't quite gone to plan, and maybe some mm. of the criticisms that he's faced during his career as well, um, you can check that out on the Athletic. And if you aren't yet a subscriber, all new subscribers can get thirty three percent off by going to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end, and you can join the Athletic party. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. A Watford FC podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is from the Rookery End. Now, we will be answering some more of your questions uh, a little bit later on in the show. We have managed to sort of thread them in so far, but there are more coming up at the end of the episode. And we're also going to be talking in a moment about Ishmael Assar. But one thing that we didn't touch upon, which was most certainly a positive after Stoke, is something that became apparent, what, just a, maybe twenty four hours after the after the Stoke game, it was it was very heartening to hear, wasn't it, Mike? 
Heartening is ex exactly the right word. If you're in the Elton John stand, you, you may well have picked up on this yourself, but, but the story effectively is that Watford invited around 150 Afghan refugees to the game yesterday. They made them their guests. They uh, got them tickets to the match. They were able to give them a scarf. I think there's a voucher for food. The Watford Trust were able to find some, um, some kit and they were given sort of a replica kit basically these these guys who are who are staying in in and around southwest hearts they're currently staying in in hotels watford were able to give them two or three hours um of respite from what is clearly a, a very very difficult time for these for these families there is the people of all ages there and, and I think it came about there was a a Watford season ticket holder I think he might be a, a box holder or, or involved commercially but suggested to to Watford that that they might be able to help out because there was this number of of refugees staying in and around Southwest Hearts currently staying in hotels and Watford picked up the baton spoke to local councils uh, and were, were able to make it happen and I think it's important that we make uh, reference to it because again we we talk about Watford being important in the community and it's something that we're all proud of as, as long-term Watford supporters. There's also the bit at half-time that has been running on the Premier League website about the, the Golden Memories and the Dementia Programme. It's important that if you say you're a community club, if you say you're a family club, you don't just walk the walk but you talk the talk as well and having had this suggestion, Watford have gone out and the various arms, the club and the trust have done everything they can do to give these guys a, a night off effectively from what is an unimaginably turbulent, difficult, trying, taxing and upsetting time. And, you know, they may only be part of our community temporarily. They may not. But whilst they are here, they are part of the community. And I think for Watford to reach out and to make them feel so welcome and, and anyone that was in the Sir Elton John stand would have seen those faces beaming just enjoying the spectacle of a football match, something that we're able to take for granted, me miserably week in, week out. It made me feel pretty <laughs> stupid, really, moaning about um, why he can't you know, do this, that and the other. Um, the fact that we were able to, to give this 150 or so people respite and some enjoyment, is it means a lot to me. It means that the the reason we support Watford means something. They, it's it gives it something tangible that they're able to to do it. And I think we we have to give credit to everyone involved at the club for doing it. It doesn't just happen. You have to go and find the kit. You have to find the scarves. You have to get the buses to get them there. You have to get the buses to get them back. You have to do the health and safety checks. You have to do this. You have to do that. And they did it. And they've made a difference, albeit only for a couple of hours. And I think it deserves a huge amount of credit. And that is what football really is all about is putting smiles on faces now mike i completely agree i think it was it was fantastic to see that initiative happening against stoke and i'm sure that the conversations will carry on you know knowing that the people at the heart of it who made it happen i'm sure that they will they will continue to to ensure that things like that can carry on for for as long as is needed. Um, let's switch our attentions now to uh, Ishmael Assar. It was a piece that I, I wrote in depth about on The Athletic on Monday. Um, after the victory at Norwich City, obviously he was pivotal to that, scoring two goals. And I did actually think on the opening day, and I looked on, on social media on the opening day, and there was quite a few commenting after the win against Aston Villa. Obviously he, he scored, he set up a goal for uh, Emmanuel Dennis as well. Quite a few people said, how is Ishmael Assar still at Watford? And we're really, really lucky to have him. And I just tried to tell the story of, of exactly how and why Watford have been able to, to retain his services. And when you're at a game where he really shines like he did at Carrow Road, and, and you boys were both there, you just feel grateful. But also you think, yeah, this isn't going to last for long because he is he's a cut above, isn't he? He is. He really is. And I think we've just seen we've seen steady and consistent improvement in him, haven't we, since he since he joined two two years ago now. We saw a very slow start when he joined in the Premier League in twenty nineteen. He he came into his own in the latter half of that season. But then there was big question marks again over him. But what's he going to be like in the championship? He's going to need to grow. He's going to need to be more of a leader for the team and be more of a central focus. And again, a bit of a slow start. But again, he did it. And I was actually quite, almost quite surprised to 
remind myself of the stats of, uh, that you have in the piece of 13 goals and five assists I think it was in the in the championship last season you know huge contribution and then again he's taken another leap forward this season it seems and there are times against Norwich it seemed like he was really unplayable I was giving Brandon Williams a real difficult torrid afternoon and he's going to get better and better and I think again as, as you've detailed there, there are probably some circumstantial reasons as to why we've still kept hold of him you know Covid and availability of other players for clubs like Liverpool Manchester United uh, who were interested in him maybe he wasn't their number one choice um, and he will be somebody's number one choice at some point in the probably not too distant future he will leave Watford won't he but it's really nice to see that he is getting better and better and he's at Watford and as you've detailed he seems to be very happy at Watford yeah, I think I think that that continued improvement and every time he plays, it's like, geez, what what a player! I mean, he he is a cut above everything else we we've, we've got by by some distance, isn't he? He's the one player that you would put your mortgage on going to play in in the top echelons of international and and club football. He's just brilliant. He's he I don't any defender would struggle to to live with him if you know I don't care who it is. His pace when he's on it, he's he's literally unplayable. And I, I think what is even more impressive about his steady upward trajectory in terms of his performances and and what he contributes is is that against the backdrop of everything that has happened, that must have been very very difficult. Because I think Adam, as you allude to in his piece, he's he's not egotistical, but he is ambitious, and he will be very much aware of what his worth is in 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 the footballing mm. landscape, and he will be very aware of where he wants to end up playing his football and it doesn't won't surprise anyone and it shouldn't offend anyone to know that that isn't Watford that's right at the top and over the last couple of years there's been some significant bumps in the road for him haven't they you know Watford have been relegated um then the sort of covid changes the whole transfer landscape and it's like oh crikey I don't know what's this wasn't the plan you know the plan was a couple of years in the Premier League with Watford help them stay up help them look okay and then and then get my move Despite all that, there has been plenty of noise around him. You've mentioned Liverpool, you've mentioned Manchester United, enough to get anyone's head sort of twitching if you're a, a young young footballer. And then even with Palace coming in um, on, on, on deadline day, I think it was, with, with a derisory bid of 25 million, but a bid nonetheless. So he's had to put up with a lot in the background and it's he's he's just got on with it hasn't he and he's he's yeah. he's obviously committed to Watford because and you can tell that uh, from his performances you don't get much from him in terms of he's not a flamboyant player in terms, you don't get much from his body language very often do you when he scores he's obviously happy in the celebrations but apart from that I like that I sort of find that quite in, quite endearing like I, he, he seems to be level-headed and again there's a, there's a few really nice details in your piece Adam when you sort of talk about how he is around the place and that he's obviously uh, he didn't speak English when he first came over but he's learnt it steadily and he, you know the first words inevitably that he learnt <laughs> were all the, all the bad words all the swear words and stuff and that was basically how he communicated with the team initially and he seems to have a bit of a sense of humour and a a nice but a nice humble personality as well and just one thing other thing I wanted to mention I think we actually all too easily just talk about his pace and we say oh he's so quick he obviously is really quick can burst past players over a short space of distance and can can run with it over a long space too but actually what's really encouraging is the way he seems to be developing his sort of game intelligence he's making better decisions he he knows when when to push it past the fullback and run he knows when to stop and give it back to Firmenia or to to sort of play it round the corner and try and get Femenia in round on, round on the overlap. There was a time against Norwich where he was sort of on the break and it looked like it, the sort of the desire from the fans to see him go, run, go, go, go. But he worked out, look, there's three players around me. I'm just not going to get up. I'm going to lose the ball. So he stopped. He played it square out to, um, I think it was out to Rose on the left-hand side. And, you know, everyone applauds and we got the ball and we, and we you know, we go on to the next phase. He seems to be learning much better now when to make the decisions and when to cut it back, when to, when to, when to go fast, when to go slow. And that's, that's testament to his improvement. And that, that yeah. makes a permanent threat in a match. And mm. it, you can't switch off with him at all. And I, I noticed that, I'm sure everyone did at Norwich. He's worked out that he, he may well get to the byline first, even if he can beat his man. But the rest of the team might not have been able to catch up, and I think that that's a really, really important point you make, Dave. That that his how he manages himself and how he manages what his contribution is, that intelligence is is evident, and it seems to be it seems to be blossoming 
exponentially on an on an almost week by week basis. It's that it's that sort of soft power that he has over mm. fullbacks, which I absolutely love watching. Yeah. That he he just goes, no 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 no, I'm not going to skin you now. I'll do that a little bit later. I'm just going <laughs> to yeah. hold off for a minute and then. Yeah. Oh no, actually, yeah, no, no, I am. I'm going to do it now, and it's just fantastic to to watch. But also, I suppose it's what's interesting as well, and and I think it's an important point, Dave, that you highlight that actually. I mean, it sounds self-indulgent, but it does actually come across in the piece that one of the sources that I spoke to says that he has added so many different things uh, to his to his game that he now is part of a front three with various different combinations that can actually keep up with him. And it is a huge threat across that front three now. Whereas before we were saying, oh, you know, is there a little bit of a problem with with the central striker, be it Dini or or be it Gray or be it Parizzo or whoever it was? Is it holding Watford back? Are they mobile enough? Now, it's it was it's great to be able to say, you know, he actually gets a little bit of a breather. He can hold off a little bit and, you know, maybe William Trooster Kong, as he did at Carrow Road, he might fling a ball from, from the right-hand side over to the left-hand side and it will be Emmanuel Dennis attacking down that side just to give him a little breather and then he can join in in the box. So I think that over time, that front three with Saar, you know, a key part of it will become more and more dangerous, hopefully, hopefully. Mm. And also the fact that Saar had Femenia alongside him the link-up play between those two in comparison with Saar being supported for example by Jeremy Ngakia who's still growing trying to sort of grow in confidence himself I think makes a huge difference to the side um, and just one final point on this I, it is obviously disappointing that Watford got relegated but if you actually look at the maths of the whole situation the fact that they bought him for 30 million pounds it was always going to be very difficult after just one season unless he absolutely flew in that first season to, to actually realise a profit on how much they, they signed him for. And, mm. and hook or by crook, by going down and now hopefully having another good season, it might actually end up that they can realise a bigger profit simply by mm. him having... Um, not necessarily because he's been in the championship, because but he's been able to grow in the championship and now really kick on knowing English football and have three seasons under his belt. And then by the end of it, they won't need to worry about whether they can make any profit on 30 million. They might even be thinking about doubling it and maybe even more if he really, really goes for it this season. So it's going to be fascinating to see. And I think, you know, I'll finish it off in, in the piece and, and, you know, people listening, you will be able to judge. It's not for me to say for you, but but my gut feeling is that if he does play well, continue on this current form, three goals already this season, that he will almost be able to go with, with Watford's blessing. And I think that that's, that's quite a nice situation to be in. Of course, it would depend on the precise circumstances at the time. He doesn't seem he, he he's clearly not the sort of person to sort of kick his uh, throw his toys out of the pram and demand a move because he could have already done that. He's had he's had ample opportunity to do that already. And from from by all accounts, from people that know him and and sources close to him, he's level headed and knows that his time will come. And if that time is this summer. And we get a lot of money out of it, and he gets on, he moves on to bigger and better things. So be it. That's the model. It's happened before. It will happen again. And I don't think anyone would begrudge him that move. But because, and and the good thing is, if that happens, that will mean that he's had a great season for Watford, which will probably mean that we'll have stayed up. So that's good for all parties. Your piece paints a picture of a man who is confident in his own ability confident that if he works hard and stays committed he will get the move that he deserves and as Watford support well I can't speak for everyone but if he goes it will be for the for the right reasons and he will have he will have earned it and, and he'd go with with my blessing and of course it leads on to showing it's it's another not overdue but it's another pot so success isn't it and so if we're looking to it for the replacement coming down the line we need to be able to show these these youngsters this is what will happen you will get your chance you will get to play 
and then you will get your move. We won't stand in your way when the time is right. So, as Dave said there, I think it, it will, if, it, if, it, if he does depart in the summer for the right fee, it will be the best for, for all parties on a whole host of levels. Just a reminder, if you want to, to read that piece, also the, the piece about Ozan Tufan um, as well, uh, you can uh, subscribe to The Athletic by going to theathletic.com. If you're not already a subscriber, if you go to theathletic.com forward slash end, then you will be able to get a 33% discount. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the Rookery End. Now, let's look ahead to uh, the game against Newcastle, um, and we can hear from Chris Woff, who just goes through the mill with Newcastle <laughs> and follows the, their uh, travails year in, year out. They never seem to be happy, Newcastle fans, even if they're winning, because of the ownership saga that continues and continues to rumble on in the background. They haven't won a game yet this season either. Let's just check in with uh, how they're feeling ahead of their trip to Vicarage Road. In terms of what do I expect to see from Newcastle on the weekend, well, the interesting thing is that against Leeds, after half an hour, having started the game with 5-3-2 formation, which is how Newcastle have played since April, they, they, they played that system after they lost 3-0 at Brighton, and then they, they finished the season very well playing 5-3-2, they played all the way through pre-season, they started this season doing it, all of the transfer business that Steve Bruce at least wanted, obviously didn't get all he wanted, but what, what he wanted was aimed towards bolstering this 5-3-2 system, Joe Willock was meant to thrive in it, then he wanted someone like Hamza Chowdhury in midfield, and then also a more of a ball-playing centre-back, was the idea that Newcastle were going to play this formation long-term, but they changed on Friday, they looked better for it, Steve Bruce said afterwards it's given him food for thought, and he said that his players looked like they enjoyed playing in that system and so I suspect that we may actually see a change in formation from Newcastle this weekend they may revert to a back four maybe a 4-3-3 is what they played against Leeds and it it served them well I do think that a change in formation is necessary for Newcastle I think they've had too many square pegs in round holes the way they've been playing before but whether 4-3-3 and whether that approach is is right to, to introduce away at Watford I'm not entirely sure but the key for Newcastle, and as it has been so often, is Alan St. Maximan. He was superb against Leicester. He is in really good form at the moment. Two goals and two assists already this season. He is very much the danger man. He carries his side, and you remove him from the team at the minute, and they would have very little because Callum Wilson's injured, highly unlikely to feature against Watford, probably isn't going to be back until after the international break. And without him, Newcastle lack a goal threat beyond Alan St. Maximan. And so that is, I expect that we will see. A, system, a chip potential change in system but whatever whatever the system is Alan St. Maximum will be the focal point up front he will be carrying Newcastle's hopes and if Watford were going to concentrate on anyone it would it would be Alan St. Maximum because if you nullify Alan St. Maximum which is not easy at the minute but if you do that then Newcastle don't really have much else and are very low and unconfident to them. they look brittle at the moment Newcastle they look they fell behind against Leeds if they conceded a second I think it could have been nasty but they managed to, to just about ride the storm and got their way to to a point, but they are winless so far this season, and you can see that is playing on players' minds right now. Is there an end in sight for the owner misery of Newcastle fans? The short answer is no. For the meantime, Mike Ashley remains owner. He still is pushing for this deal. He still wants this very deal to go through. There are other interested parties, but at the moment, Mike Ashley seems to be wedded to Newcastle United albeit that he doesn't want to be and there isn't an end in sight and that is the the, the mass frustration and it adds to sort of this idea of an existential crisis at Newcastle United as it has been for so long and the, the issues with Steve Bruce and I think that some 
externally may argue, well, it's not Steve Bruce's fault. It, it, there's always going to be limitations when the owner's there, and they're correct in that sense. But I think that that also sort of masks the problems that some Newcastle fans feel that even given the limitations of Mike Ashley, they are, that given the squad that they have, they could and should be performing better. And that is why there's a lot of discontent with the head coach as well as the owner in general. It's unfortunately just not a very, very happy club at all at the moment. Uh, but hopefully they can at least give themselves a little bit of positive respite by getting a positive result at Vicarage Road. One thing I wanted just uh, I learned about this game earlier on today is that Steve Bruce, this will be his 999th game in management. There could be a, a scenario. Let's just say we like absolutely hammered them eight nil or something, and and Mike Ashley was finally left with no option but to sack him. He could be nine hundred ninety nine out, one one run short of the uh, of the century, as it were, cricket parlance. But um, yeah, obviously that won't happen. But it's a shame. It's a shame it's not his thousandth. We could have welcomed. We could have. We could have given Steve a guard of honour on Saturday. <laughs> If he does get if he does get sacked on nine hundred ninety nine, perhaps that means he might write more books though. So that would be <laughs> bonus for for everyone. I mean, look, this game is it's still massive. We've got we've got Stoke out of our system. It would have been nice to keep the momentum going. You could argue that being out of the Carabao Cup is is good, bad, whatever. It's been, it's done. We do need to win on Saturday. Uh, we're staring down the barrel of a very very difficult run of games. We performed well against Norwich, and with apologies to any Norwich fans listening, why are you listening? Um, they're not a good side. I'd love it if there was one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. They'd be, I mean, we yeah. might have converted a few from Saturday. Very very brave if they if they are. They're straight. They, you know, they are an outlier. I think in terms of the the sort of teams we're gonna we're gonna face. Newcastle are probably closest to them in terms of. Uh, in terms of how how tough they're finding mm. life at the moment, in terms of form, in terms of things behind the scenes, I know there's a protest fan, planned by by Newcastle fans. They're you know perennially unhappy for a whole host of of reasons. But we have to focus on on the job at hand, and it's a big one for Watford. It is. But they have to they have to build on that on a, on a really positive showing at at, New, uh, at Norwich, and do it again because lose here and it's we're back to sort of getting a little bit. A bit it's, nervy again. It's basically an exercise in keeping Sam Maximan quiet, really, not to, to without too much disrespect to the rest of their players. I know they're, they've got a solid team. Um, Callum Wilson's missing at the moment, who would be their other main goal threat. So he's the one that can win the game for them. He's the one that's got. He's played very well already this season and has in previous seasons. So he he could he could do some damage if we deal with him and we play to our strengths. We, we've got more than enough to win this game. It's a big one. The, the question is for Cisco, and I know we've got a question that kind of feeds into this, is that he was very pointed, wasn't he, that he went for experience in in the Norwich in the Norwich game, didn't he? So, uh, cleverly coming in, and Ben Foster coming in, and I'd be interested to know whether he 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 sticks with that side and he he goes with that experience again. And Dan Cohen has has asked. Kind of on that on that theme, would love some further insight into the Dan Backman story. Was he injured or dropped? Um, he wasn't involved against Stoke. So, Adam, what? How do you how do you see that? Is it was it a, a an experiencing? Was there an injury? What what's going on with Dan Backman and and, and Ben Foster? It's an interesting situation, isn't it? And I, and I must admit, I'm not completely clear on exactly what what has happened you know for people that follow me on social media and, and would have seen on the athletic as well prior to to kick off i broke the news that there was going to be a change in goal and that backman was missing and it was my understanding at that point that there was an injury involved a knee injury that he he picked up when he conceded the second goal against wolves that then was slightly muddied by him being named on the bench and I think that that then made people think, well, no, he's just simply been dropped. But my information is pretty solid that there is some concern over his his knee injury. But then that was muddied further by what Ben Foster said at the end of the game. And I watched earlier on his, his uh, Cycling GK uh, video blog with his catch-up and all that sort of stuff, where he was talking about the fact that, you know... and. I, I'll, I'll be I'll be brutally honest, and it's a phrase that I've realised I do say a lot, brutally honest, but I'm not sure in this circumstance whether whatever Ben Foster was saying and the, the way that he said it, and he was saying, look, sorry, Dan, 
it's tough, this is football, there's been a change, I'm now in goal, blah, 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 blah. I just don't know if that's the, the, the way to be dealing with this this sort of situation because I think that it's somewhere in between a technical decision, which which some of my sources have, have told me, Shisko Munoz um, has, has talked about it being his decision to bring in experienced players and things like that, and also there being almost like a, a glimmer of an opportunity to make a change because there was a little bit of a concern over his knee injury yeah. and he wasn't 100% fit. So I think it's somewhere in between. I think that's the sense that we got on Saturday, isn't it? Mike, I think that was kind of what you were saying to me when we heard the noise and we heard the news when we were on the train that regardless of whether there was an injury, we kind of got the feeling that that was the way the wind was blowing anyway, maybe. It just felt like that. It just felt like there was sort of a... A little bit of smoke about about a changing of the of the goalkeeper. There just felt to be rumblings about it, and a few people just asking questions about about Backman and and how how he performed. And yeah, just you just got the sense of it. I don't think anyone was massively surprised. Mm. The thing is about Backman is he's not let us down, has he at all? There's not there's not been any games he's made glaring errors, and you know you could pick out little minor weaknesses in his game here and there but generally he's done enough to keep the shirt every time he's been in the team that said and i don't again i don't want to be disrespectful to backman at all but that said i just i did feel it felt right to me it felt i'd felt a bit more comfortable just seeing Foster in that team on Saturday. Maybe it's just because we won, right? And he had a good game or whatever. Yeah. F- fair enough. Like, it's, it's one game. But I don't know. It was just something intangible that I couldn't quite put my finger on. But I was like, mm, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that decision. I think the the sort of, the the main emphasis of, of the whole story really is that there is ruthlessness and no one's place is safe. Hmm. So, you know, obviously it's going to be difficult for Backman to, to, to be dealing with. It's obviously a difficult political situation for Ben Foster and you know he sort of acknowledged it when he was talking about it in his in his video blog and stuff like that it's difficult it's awkward I remember when I was a a kid being a goalkeeper and I got dropped and then the other goalkeeper comes in it's horrible it feels absolutely horrible because once you're out you're out you're still out and you're not getting you're not getting I'm still out I was out ever since I was out out and you know and you just think it is it is a very very lonely position to be in when you've been dropped it's a very sort of like oh yeah we're getting rid of you because we don't think that you're going to save mm. as many shots as this guy it's, there, there is, you know it's, it's a difficult difficult situation to deal with and I hope that it doesn't hit Backman's confidence too much and also in the same way I think Ben Foster will know having seen him lose his place to, to Backman yes it was due to an injury but having lost his place but also Backman losing his place because there wasn't a hundred percent confidence maybe the same applies for Ben Foster, who had criticisms prior to him getting that injury, you remember. Mm. He had a horrendous game against Huddersfield, made a couple of other sort of glaring errors as well. So, you know, I think, you know, it's just to keep everyone on their toes, perhaps. And, you know, there were criticisms about Ben Foster in the same way as as Backman. Does he come enough? Does he command his box and all that sort of stuff? I don't know if those are valid criticisms for, for either of them in particular, but the feeling I was getting with Ben Foster was that he wasn't dominating enough. He wasn't coming out enough. And, you know, there was a couple of times when he was sort of deep in his own six-yard box and he wasn't coming for for claims when there was bodies flying in in front of him. So it's going to be a test for, for both Foster and it's going to be a test for Batman to, to sort of keep his mind straight after a really good summer at the Euros to get back involved, get his head down and try and win back the shirt. So... It's going to be fascinating to watch what happens. Yeah, so on a on a related note, another player who found himself all of a sudden out of the team on Saturday was Francisco Sierra coming just the week after he scored that slightly unfortunate own goal against Wolves. And, you know, he wasn't even on the bench. And Cisco alluded to the fact that it was a technical decision, as you've said. Uh, he was back in with the with the second team in the in the Carabao Cup all of a sudden he finds himself in that position which is you know he's been the main man he's been the best center back really hasn't he for the last or certainly in the championship season really for most of the season since he made his sort of impact into the team so difficult situation for him and Michael Thomas uh, sent in a question on on that on that exact subject what's the what's the news on him both short term in terms of why was he out of the team out of favor injury etc and long term he might only have one year left on his deal by the end of this season so kind of this could be a real pivotal few months for him really 
it's a it's a difficult one because I suppose if you're if you're if you concede a goal like that, or you score an own goal as he did against Wolves, there are two ways of looking at it, and one of one is get back on the bike, get back out there. We all back you. You know, it was just a it was just an error. And it could happen to anyone. It's unfortunate that it was so sort of public. Yeah. And, and I mean, you'd think as well that Cisco wouldn't just drop him off. Cisco's problems with him, if he had does have any, would be technical problems, would, would run deeper than just an own goal. He must have seen something else probably in his performance that he, for whatever reason, thought, right, I'm going to put someone else in the team. I think you also have to rewind and go, well, he has been his central defender right from the start. He was He was promoted straight into the team, under Shisko and he's pretty much played every game up up until he had a little bit of a an injury I think maybe later on mm. uh, in the season and he has always been his man so I don't think that there's any issue between between the two but you know yeah you have one option of, of saying look you know go straight back out there and he gets to play again or you actually make a decision and you say no let's try something different let's give you a breather Let's just give you a little bit of a reminder. Let's check your hunger in training. Let's see how you respond to this. And then, yeah, come back, play the game against Stoke. And it didn't really go to plan. I think it. I think the key thing with, with Watford at the moment with um, the central defensive partnerships is that, that there are some that work and there are some that just don't really naturally seem to flourish. And I don't see Sierra Alta and Cabaselli as as one of those partnerships that seems to work. I I, I like Kafka and and Truce de Kong. I like Truce de Kong and Sierra But other than that, I don't necessarily think many other of the combinations work. Mm. So I, I I hope for Sierra's sake, and I would have thought that he would he would have wanted to come out and play against Norwich. He will have been annoyed to, to be playing against Stoke, but it didn't seem to deter him and he was throwing his body around and all that sort of stuff. And he played pretty well. There wasn't really much much that he did wrong against Stoke in particular. And hopefully, yeah, he comes back. But I suppose that the way of sort of stepping away from it and working out whether this is a good or a bad thing, it keeps everyone on their toes. It keeps people hungry. And then if you are dropping people and you're making ruthless, ruthless decisions, what you want is a positive reaction and we won't be able to see that in training if people keep on losing their proverbial because and throwing their toys out of the pram in training then that's where decisions will be made you know they see them all the time they know what's going on behind closed doors and then we have to then go well that's maybe why they are making the mm. decisions that they're making you know when when saturday comes so yeah it's going to be interesting to see who who plays against against newcastle but i can't Although I had my, I I didn't think that Craig Cathcart had a particularly good game against Norwich. I thought he got undone by that that ball round the back that that found Temu Puki, and there was a similar ball round the back in the second half, which was almost like a carbon copy, which yeah. which he didn't seem to have prepared himself for again. So, what would you do, Mike? I would probably go back to Sierra Alta and 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 Troost, I think. Just hearing you guys talk, though, it's the, these are sort of quite nuanced decisions, aren't they, that Cisco's having to deal with? And they're not necessarily ones that we envisaged him having to, to deal with. We felt like Dan Backman was was in possession of the number one jersey and was going to be there. Sierra Alta, everyone was very, very positive about. But as Adam mentioned there, that we've we've seen probably enough that certain pairings don't really work. And... You know, Craig Cathcart, I'd really like him. I like the way he, the, the, the nuts and bolts performances he puts in are often are often exactly what's needed. But but Adam's right to pick him up on a couple of a couple of times, probably more than a couple of times, really. He just found himself bent a little bit out of shape against Norwich, who, as we've said, are not great. So I think... Sierra Alta feels like a, a, a more complete centre-back, um, more able to, to perhaps deal with the rigours of the Premier League and what's expected of a Premier League centre-back. And, you know, I've been very, very critical of Troost Ikong in terms of his his distribution. It gives me bad dreams morning, noon and night. Um, I, I worry in that regard. Not against Norwich. Not against yep. Norwich. Stop having afternoon naps, Mike. That'll solve that problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, eat, or eating too much cheese. I don't know. <laughs> Probably both, actually. Um, so that's that's what I do. But but it, it, what is fascinating to me is it's it's just a, a 
a tricksy little period, isn't it, for Cisco? Just how he he manages this, and I just wonder whether what appears to be a very good natured sort of uh, he facilitates a good atmosphere at the the club, and whether that gives him a little bit of credit in the bank with the, with his squad in terms of those that aren't playing. But then again, how long how long that lasts? You don't really imagine that it's a squad where players are throwing the, the dummy out of the, the, pram, the pram, as Adam said there. And it's 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 making sure that that delicate balance is is maintained, isn't it? So yep. difficult. But basically, according to you, Dave, as long as we stop uh, Sam Maximan, we've got nothing to worry about. So it uh, doesn't matter who we play, does it? <laughs> right, gents. I think we, it's good. It's good to have sort of talked it through. I don't think we've been set back too much by the the exit to to Stoke, and I think we're ready to get stuck in to Newcastle. And uh, fingers crossed that they can uh, they can get back to back wins. Just a very quick reminder. I know I've been banging the drum for the Athletic on uh, this episode, but if you are not yet a subscriber. Um, and uh, you would like to be, you'd like to read the pieces about SAR, about Tufan, about all the other uh, various Watford issues that we've dealt with today and beyond coverage of the Premier League, coverage of all European football and all the US sports uh, to boot as well, um, head to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end and you get a bit of a discount as well. Uh, Mike, thank you very much. No worries. I just wanted to end with a question. It's a hypothetical it oh, might yeah. be a, some sort of scientific, um, physical thing that means that every time Dan Gosling plays, he gets a chance pretty much on the on the centre spot. He sort of sweeps <laughs> it towards goal and it always goes straight at the goalkeeper. I think there is some sort of physiological rule that means every time he plays, that has to happen. So if anyone could fill me in on why that's the case, then uh, that'd be great. Then I'll be able to sleep at night and I wouldn't need uh, naps in the middle of the day. Thanks for having me, lads. Sorry to end on a weird one. <laughs> <laughs> we will deal with that thorny issue uh, next week because yeah we didn't manage to deal with uh, Dan Gosling and the fact that he has he always has a, a myriad of chances every game that unfortunately don't seem to to I go in. Uh, Brilliant. Da- <laughs> Dave thank you very much. Thank you. And we will see you after the game against Newcastle. The boys will be back reacting to hopefully what is a good result for Watford but whatever happens we will be reacting to it and then we'll be back next Thursday. And who knows what selection issues, what news stories we will have to be uh, unpicking by then. Look forward to it already. Take care, everyone. Athletic.